Welcome to the By Words Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Hughes. I love helping passionate women gain clarity about their purpose so they can kick fear to the curb, break up with the hustle, and say goodbye to the lies that hold us back from pursuing our dreams wholeheartedly. We're going to get open and honest, share some laughs, and maybe some tears. But at the end of the day, my hope is that you will walk away encouraged, inspired, and ready to step into your purpose with confidence. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive right in. Hey there, friend. Welcome back to another episode of the ByWords podcast. Today looks a little different because we are doing another unscripted episode. And if you weren't here for the last one or if you haven't listened yet, basically what that means is we're just going to sit down and have a really candid conversation. I have not thought through my answers. I have not planned out what I'm going to say. It's totally unscripted. So Last time I introduced you to my husband, Christopher, and this time I wanted you to be able to ask me anything about my story. So on Instagram, I asked if you had any questions for me and that's what I'm going to be talking about today. So I'm just going to go through this list of questions and we're just going to see what comes up. So I did want to mention as well, if any of this resonates with you, I have written a book about my story. It's called Waking Up, Living Open. It's all about my story, but really it's about the power of our stories and what happens when we embrace them and share them with others. And it's it's just been really cool to hear other people's stories when they read mine or, you know, just having these kinds of conversations. I'm just always shocked and surprised by how many people are saying, me too, or I'm so glad I'm not the only one. And that's what this book is all about. So like I said, if any of this resonates with you, you can grab the book waking up. It's on my website at the slash shop. I will link it in the show notes. And I think that's pretty much it. Let's just dive right into it. Pull up a chair, sit right down, grab a drink. I've got mine and let's just dig into this. So I thought I'd start out with just a little bit of a timeline. So we'd kind of be on the same page going into this and you can kind of get the full picture and then we'll go deep. So starting in sixth grade, that is when I started to develop my eating disorder. So it started out as anorexia and over time it kind of evolved into anorexia and bulimia. And I had a, this, this went on for like six years, almost seven years. So I had an eating disorder for a really long time. And while that was going on, there were some other things happening as well. So sixth grade eating disorder started eighth grade is when I started really not feeling good mentally as far as anxiety, depression. This is when I started cutting and just, I could feel the depression kind of starting to happen, but it's so crazy. And I think I mentioned this in the story about by words, but you just feel like it's not that bad when you're going through it. I don't know if you can relate, but like, I just remember going through this at the time and thinking it's not that serious. Like there are people who have it worse than me. I'm probably fine, but it was bad. So fast forward a little bit around that same time when I was in eighth grade is when I like really dedicated my life to Jesus and got serious about my relationship with God and my faith. And right after that point was when my life just spiraled out of control. My depression became very intense and I became suicidal. So that went on for a few years in my sophomore year, two years later in September, which is this month, actually 11 years ago, which is absolutely crazy. But in that September, 2010 is when I decided that I was going to end my life. And I talk about this in my book. That's, this is a whole like premise of the book is how I planned that night to go home and end my life. And 
I, I don't really remember anything. It's the craziest thing. I can't even explain it, but I just remember I was crying and I knew what I was about to do. And the next thing I remember was waking up the next morning and my whole life changed. My parents found out that same night, actually my mom, that same night, my mom had found out through one of my friend's moms that I was you know, cutting and struggling and like suicidal and all of that. So it was literally like literally God intervened just in time and it was crazy. So, um, around that time, my parents found out everything and I started to get help. So my parents said that they would do whatever they could to help me get through it. I started going to counseling. I started going to a nutritionist and I got on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication for a couple years. So after I started getting some help and going to counseling and, and, working on things. I started seeing a little bit of improvement, but that's when I started getting involved in a youth group and it changed everything for me because for the first time I had friends who were pursuing a relationship with God, like I had never seen before. I mean, I had a few friends from school who were really incredible friends, which I will talk about, um, in this episode, but I, it was just cool to me to have more community surrounding me. That was really they knew what I was going through. They didn't see me differently. They really wanted the best for me and they were supporting me when I was going through my healing process. So this was my sophomore year of high school and things were looking really good. Like by the time my junior year rolled around and my senior year, I had the best friends I had ever had, best relationships. I was enjoying my life. I had started even writing the book, <laughs> Waking Up, which Side note, I, it was not the right time for me to be writing that. I was still very much processing through it, but I did start writing it at that time and it eventually turned into the book um, years later, but I was doing really well. And in the spring of my senior year, I was about to graduate. I was molested by two of my friends. It was shocking. I mean, I don't even know how to explain it. Um, but then a month later, as if that weren't enough, I was raped by somebody else. So finally I had started to feel like, okay, I'm coming out of this. I'm, I'm feeling better. I'm doing better. And then the abuse happened. So it was mostly my high school experience when all this was going on, just absolutely jam packed with craziness. And I know the, the sad thing is I know this is not a rare story. I know there are so many girls and women feeling like this and going through these things. And so my hope in talking about this today is not to just like vent about what I went through or glorify or romanticize or whatever, like any of these things, what I really want to do is just give some insights into where I was at, how I overcame it and how I help other women in their own stories. So that's the point of this episode. I hope you can see my heart as we're talking through this. Um, I don't know if I should mention maybe like a trigger warning because I did mention in my timeline already, those are the things that I'm going to be talking about. But if you are sensitive to those things, maybe just be mindful going into this. Um, but yeah, so that's what we're going to be talking about. That's the timeline. Those are the things that I went through and I'm just going to answer your questions about them. I'm literally an open book. So if you have any other questions, I always love to be a resource. So after this episode, if there's anything else that comes to mind, just feel free to send me a DM on Instagram, but let's just get into this because there are some really good questions and I don't want to miss out on any of them. So first, how were your parents and siblings about everything you were going through? I know I mentioned this a little bit, but my parents were mostly very supportive. My parents are great parents. Like I, I really love my parents. We didn't have a perfect relationship. I mean, I feel like does anybody have a perfect relationship with their parents? Because I think that's just part of life that you grow and it changes. And especially since I'm an adult now, it, it's just a very different dynamic. But I remember in the beginning, 
um, when I was starting to feel depressed, I tried to express that to my parents. Like my friends at school were starting to worry about me. I was like, maybe I should get help. I don't know. Like I, this is weird talking about this stuff with my parents because I was close with them, but I wasn't like super open with them. If that makes sense. Like I wasn't just talking about all this personal stuff I was going through. I tended to keep to myself a lot and keep things bottled up. So when I first started talking to my parents about like, Hey, I feel depressed. Like, I think I need help. My dad was like, you just need to stop being so negative. And he just didn't understand. So for me, it was like, I, um, we're not on the same page. Like, I don't think you understand. I need help. And for my parents, like, and at the time, you know, like I didn't have a lot of friends that were going through this stuff, like maybe one or two, but I was in what eighth grade. And so I think they thought that I was just being dramatic or, um, going through like the teenage stuff, you know, like the adolescent struggles, but for me, it really was more. So I think that initial reaction from my dad is what prompted me to continue hiding things from them. And I don't know, it's not that I didn't think they wouldn't care, but I just didn't know how to talk to them about it because I thought like, okay, well, this is my fault. They think I'm just being negative. Like when you're going thing through things like depression or an eating disorder or any kind of mental illness type thing. Um, I don't mean this to be like an, I don't mean this in a bad way, but like it's very self focused. You don't have like a lot of awareness about other people and it's not that you're trying to be selfish. It's just that you're very focused on yourself and you don't know how other people are going to respond. Um, you also think everything is your fault because you're only looking at yourself and you're like, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? That kind of thing. At least that's what I've learned from my own experience. Um, but because of that, I didn't let my family in. I don't think my siblings really knew anything. I mean, my brother's two years younger than me and we've always been pretty close, but kind of the same thing. Like we didn't necessarily talk through a lot of personal stuff that was going on. So, um, my brother has a really amazing testimony as well. And actually when I was going through what I was going through and by the time my parents found out and started helping me, my brother was going through his own stuff. And then my sister is nine years younger than me. So I don't think she had any idea really until I wrote my book, but my parents found out, like I said, that night that I was going to commit suicide. And I remember it was just the weirdest thing. It felt like a day as I woke up the next morning and it was a Sunday and my parents always took us to church on Sundays. We like never missed a week. And so we get there and I'm just frustrated and I'm just thinking, okay, well I'll do it tonight. Um, but my parents after church were like, your brother and sister are going home with so-and-so and we're going to stay after here. And we're going to meet with someone who was like my youth pastor's wife, who was someone that I confided in at school. She was like one of my only people that knew I was struggling. So we walk into her office after church and it's me and her and my parents. And the, the woman was just like, are you cutting? And I said, yes, I didn't want to lie. My parents were right there. They asked me to show them. I started crying and they were like, what is going on? And so basically just opened up the conversation that I had been too scared to have for years. And I just remember my dad saying, we're going to do anything we can to help you. Like we, we want to help you. We care about you. And it was just crazy hearing that for me. And I know that's a huge, huge blessing to have that kind of response from a parent, because I know that not all parents understand. I mean, I, I feel like parents want to help their kids, you know, but it's, 
it's hard when you don't understand. I feel like unless you've gone through something like this, it's really hard to kind of comprehend like how in the world someone could be thinking these kinds of things. But for me hearing my dad say that after in the beginning, his response was, you need to stop being so negative was like a huge shift for me. Cause I was like, okay, maybe it is bad. Maybe I actually do need help. Maybe there actually is hope. I'll give it a try. I don't know. Let's see what happens. So I ended up going to counseling from there, but that's kind of how their take was on it. And then of course, when I started going to counseling and things, they were really supportive. My mom took me to all my appointments. She'd always check in on me. And afterwards she would be like, is this helping? Like, what is there? Is there anything I can do? And so she was just very open about like wanting to be there for me, but knowing like she didn't want to push herself on me. And it was, that was really helpful for me just to know that she was there, just to know she was available. She was praying for me. She loved me. She cared about me, but both my parents, but it was really helpful just to have my mom there for me through that. As far as the abuse, um, someone actually asked me, did I tell anyone when it happened or did I report it? Which I'll get back into that later. But my parents did not know about the abuse until way later on. So my parents found out at this time about my eating disorder, the cutting, um, my depression and anxiety and all that and suicide. So that's kind of, I guess, how they were about all that. I hope that answers the question. Um, next one is when I feel anxious now, do I feel like I'm more aware than I was before? And I guess this could kind of apply to anything like with food or with depression or anything. I would definitely say I am more aware now because I still struggle with anxiety and even depression. If I'm being totally honest, I struggled with some depression earlier this year and it's just different now. Like before I was absolutely consumed. Like when I was in high school, it was where I lived. It was my default setting of my mind and it was all I could see. And so now being on the other side of that and not only understanding mindset, having a more mature faith, um, and just, you know, like not having that be my default. Like it's not my whole world right now. Like it sticks out to me more when I'm experiencing anxiety because it's not the normal anymore. Whereas back then it was normal. Like it, it was just how I lived my life. So yes, I'm definitely more aware of it than, than before. And it's actually helped me as I've grown in awareness, just be able to communicate that with Christopher or with my friends, or, you know, like I can just say, Hey, I'm, I'm dealing with this right now. I need some patience. I need some grace. I need some help, that kind of thing. So yes, definitely more aware than I was before. Next one is, was your depression like, I hate my life. What's my purpose or what? Like she said, I know it's more than just feeling sad. Yes. So again, when you are going through any kind of mental illness or I mean, hardship of any kind, I guess it's really hard to explain it to someone who has not experienced it because unless you've experienced it, you guess, I guess you just don't kind of really get the full picture of what it's like to be in that place. But my depression, so I should just say I was diagnosed with, um, clinical depression and generalized anxiety disorder by a, a psychiatrist who prescribed me the medication for both. So for me, depression was, I mean, it, this is so hard to explain because I have such an interesting view on it now because I know a lot of it for me was spiritual, but I also believe part of it was physical, like just going on in my body and all of that kind of stuff. But yes, my depression was more than just, I hate my life. It was, I hate myself. What is the point? Like, 
why would I continue living if this is the option? And the thing is, I was a believer at the time. Like I had, I feel like a good relationship with Jesus. So even though my life wasn't perfect, part of me was like, God, if it's going to be like this, I'd rather just die and like be with you and get this over with because I can't, like, I don't have the energy. I don't have the will. I have absolutely no strength, no hope to keep going. And I felt like it was my only option to end my life, which seems crazy on the other side of it. But honestly, at the time, that's just how I felt. It was like this really, really deep sadness and heaviness where it truly felt like I had no other option. And so being on the other side of it now, um, again, I can't even grasp, like I can't even remember what my mindset was like in that place. I feel so far removed from it. But now, like I said, when I experience any kind of depression, it is kind of like, what, what's the point? Where is my purpose? I'm, I'm, it's just more of like a sadness, I guess, like a real heaviness. Um, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Next. Did anyone ever tell you to end your life? Uh, No, no one ever told me to end my life. No one ever encouraged me to end my life. No one ever played into my depression. What got me to that point was the way that I perceived people's responses to me. So for instance, the night that I decided that I was going to end my life, I had been at a birthday party and one of my friends said something to me that I received as a statement that made me feel like it just kind of validated for me the lies that I was believing about. I am totally worthless. Nobody loves me. No one wants me. Why am I even here? So I was giving a narrative to what people were saying to me as if they were saying something about me. Does that make sense? So if someone said something like, why are you just being so negative all the time? Like my dad, it was like, I receive that as something's wrong with me. I'm so stupid. What's my deal? What's my problem? Like, I'll never be good enough for anybody. No one will ever understand me. And so it was kind of that sort of thing where no one was ever telling me that to, to end my life. No one ever told me that. But I received the things they said as kind of confirmation for the lies that I was already believing, if that makes sense. Next is, did friends and family ever make comments about your weight? Um, this is a great question. <laughs> Because I think for eating disorders, it can be brought on by so many things. It can be brought on by stress. It can be brought on by bullying. It can be brought on by like a simple comment that someone makes about you. Um, I, I truly believe that at the root of it, an eating disorder is a desire for control in your life. And that's definitely what it was for me at the core. But yes, someone did make a comment about my weight, actually several people. So when I was in second grade, my best friends told me I was fat. and. In second grade, it's like, how serious could they be? You know, like, do they even know what they're saying? But I, that it just stuck with me so much. I was like, it gave me this awareness for the first time in my life that people are looking at my body and thinking it's not good. And it just, just turned my world upside down. I had never thought really much about the way that I looked before, but the fact that two of my best friends were laughing at me and telling me that I was fat, I was like, oh my gosh, is this what everyone thinks about me? I had no idea. So second through sixth grade, which is, you know, the years after that, until I developed an eating disorder, it was just kind of off and on a little bit of bullying. I, I, the bullying I experienced was not severe, but I was picked on because I, um, had terrible acne and I was not overweight, but I guess just like not, I just wasn't that pretty compared to some of the other girls. And so I just took their comments to heart a lot. And so by the time that I was in sixth grade, I was like, 
I just want to be pretty. I just want to look like everybody else. What's so wrong with me that I have all these issues and people are looking at my body and thinking it's not good. And so that's kind of what brought it on. Um, through high school, people didn't really comment on my weight. Um, I don't think that you would have known I had an eating disorder from the outside. Um, nobody ever commented or said like that they thought maybe I did. So I guess it just kind of went under the radar. I tried to be extremely secretive about it. Um, but I did get hate mail. I literally got hate mail in the mail sent to my house from someone when I was in high school. And so it, the bullying just kind of like went on throughout my high school experience. And it just kind of like added on to that initial comment that was made when I was in second grade. So that's kind of like what the process was, I guess, as far as other people verbally saying something about my appearance or about me that contributed to all of my issues. Okay. Next one is how old were you when you were abused and did you tell anyone when it happened or did you report it? Okay. So like I said, I was in high school. It was my senior year. So I was 18 years old when I was sexually abused and I, I told a few very close friends. Um, cause I remember the first time it happened, I woke up the next day and I had to go to work. So I went in and I was absolutely in shock and my friend was working with me at the time. And I just told her, like, I just felt like I had to tell someone cause I was like, did this really happen? I, I can't compute it. Like this does not feel real. So I told her and I just remember she cried and I was like, wait, what? I, I'm not even crying. Like, is this real? Like, did this really happen to me? It doesn't feel real. And, and so I hesitated to tell anybody else. Cause I was like, Oh no, like, I don't know how people are going to react. So I told that friend and she cried for me. And, um, I told another one of my really close friends that was a guy and he got really mad. And so I just got a lot of different, like a wide variety of responses. When I told my closest friends, like one friend was so, so just empathetic and kind and there for me and was so sorry. One of them got really emotional and then the other got angry. Like, how could you be in that situation? Like, how could you have been in the room with them? How could you have done that? And it was just because he couldn't believe it happened to me. Um, but yeah, so I only told, I think those three people. And so from there, I just decided I don't want to talk about this. I want to pretend it didn't happen because then again, a month later it happened again, except that time I was actually raped by the person. And so I just, I just decided I was never going to talk about it because it, it wasn't helpful for me to talk about it at the time. I was like, it just makes me feel horrible. It doesn't feel real. Like I was in shock to be honest. And so uh, again, unless you've experienced it, it's hard to explain, but I truly thought my best option was just to never think about it again and go on like it never happened. So that's what I did. I did not end up reporting it. I never did. Actually, when I ended up telling my parents, my dad asked if I wanted to press charges and I never did. And I'm so conflicted about this. This is the hard thing about stuff like this is because everyone has an opinion about what you should do and when you're living it yourself, it's even more complicated. But the thing is, I knew the three people that, um, that hurt me, not super close, but they were in my life. Like I continued to see them and I have seen them since. And I think for me, it was just like going public or reporting it 
puts me out like everyone would know then and then it also puts them out which like they deserve it yes but I think for me it was more of like a selfish thing of like I don't want people to know like this is the last thing I want to be public does that make sense so again very complicated very um just (laughs) just a lot to it but at the end of the day I decided not to report it and and looking back I I don't know if I would change that um But I think for me, it just came down to, I wasn't ready to accept it. I wasn't ready to process through it at the time. And so I couldn't imagine like going through the trauma of, you know, taking it to court or taking it to the police even, or taking it, you know, like if just being public about it, which I have so much respect for the women who do and who are willing to fight for justice, because that's the thing. There's a lot of stats about women who are sexually abused but it's based on the people who have said something. Can you imagine how many more it would be if, if people spoke up about it? Like it's, it baffles me to think about that because at the time I was not brave enough to say anything. And I mean, I talk about it now, but at the time I just couldn't even fathom anybody knowing I could hardly even fathom my parents knowing. So when I told them, um, I actually told them over text because I didn't, I didn't want to see their faces. I didn't want to talk to them face-to-face or hear or see their response. It was just too scary for me. So yeah, that's who I told when it happened. And since then I have opened up to gradually, well, I mean, everybody knows now, but in between the time of telling my parents and starting to get help for it. And now where I publicly speak about my story and share about how, who I am and how I got to the other side of it. um, I just gradually began to open up to friends and trusted mentors or counselors or, you know, people that had also experienced it. And so I got to the point where after going to counseling for quite a while and feeling very supported, feeling very whole and feeling like I'm in a good place in my healing process, I've been able to talk about it and share about it more, which has been really cool, especially because Christopher has known since we were dating and he has just always supported me. I still go to counseling now. And it's not because I'm stuck there struggling or anything, but it's just like, for me, I know I need to stay in the habit of processing through it so that, you know, like if I did run into one of those guys again, like it wouldn't wreck my whole world the way it might otherwise, if I hadn't continued to process and heal from it, if that makes sense. So that's kind of where I'm at in that crazy story of healing. It's a very, um, It's a very up and down journey healing from trauma, but it is possible. Okay. And to finish this up, I thought this was a really, really good question. And it's what advice do I have for how to love people who are hurting? And what do I wish my family and friends knew when I was going through everything I was going through? So I've mentioned this a lot already, but it's just hard to understand something like this unless you've been through it yourself. But that's okay. I feel like I experienced both sides of this. Like on the one hand, the first response when my dad said, I just needed to stop being negative when I told them about my depression, um, that made me really hesitant to continue opening up. And it also made me second guess whether or not what I was going through was actually serious or if I was just making it up or if I just needed to like get over myself. I don't know. Um, and so it really just made me kind of shut down and shrink back and not feel like I could talk to people about it. However, on the other hand, when my parents found out about 
like the weight and the gravity of everything I was going through and how serious it actually was, my dad's immediate response was, we're going to do whatever we can to help you. So there's two (laughs) different sides of this. So the first thing is check on people and, and see how the people you love are actually doing. Because the very sad thing is that when we hear about suicides or people who are struggling, sometimes people are like, I didn't know it was that bad. And I think we just need to get into a habit of really checking on people um, and giving them the space to talk when they are ready and when they're able. Because for me, I understand that I could have told someone, hey, I need help. It's bad. I, I like, I'm thinking things that are really dangerous and I need help. But I didn't feel like I could. I was terrified of what people would think of me. I was terrified that people wouldn't understand. And I was absolutely convinced that there was no hope anyway. So why even try? So I think really staying connected to those people, like checking in, just being available and not taking the stance of like, okay, let's fix the problem. Let's fix you. That's not what it's about. It's more about loving someone through the process. Like, like this question, I love the way that it's worded. Like, how do you love people that are hurting? You love them. You just, you're there for them. You're available. You're patient. I mean, when we think about love, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't demand its own way. You know, love, it encourages through all things. It hopes all things. It believes all things. It it sticks around through the hard parts. So I feel like loving people who are hurting includes being okay with it, taking time for someone to feel safe. But I feel like the more you are available, the more you can kind of gauge how serious it is. And then you can also be there for them when they are ready and when they need to talk about it or ask for the help instead of focusing on solving the problem from the get-go, if that makes sense. And then I think just understanding that it's just hard. It's, it's hard to understand something that you haven't been through, but just being there and being available to that person speaks volumes and also just responding in love if they decide to share with you and open up about what they're going through. Because I think one of my big fears when I was going through all of this was that people were going to see me differently or they were going to think that I like there was something wrong with me. I don't know. It was like all these fears surrounding me opening up and being vulnerable and like asking for that help that I really needed. And so what helped me so much was when I opened up to someone and shared what I was going through and what I was feeling and if I needed help and they just responded with love. And like they said that they didn't see me any differently. It encouraged me so much. It encouraged me to believe like, okay, I can get through this. Like I can get help. I can talk to people about this because they still love me. They still see me the same way. It doesn't define me. It's not the end of my story. Like I don't have to be trapped here. People see me the same. And now that they know they can help me get through it. So I think just, just being willing to encourage people and call out the good in them, even when they, they're struggling. And because that's the thing, like when you're going through stuff like this, you lose focus, you lose sight of the good in your life, like depression, anxiety, any kind of trauma or mental illness, like you've lost sight of the good in your life. You've lost perspective. It's hard for you to refocus and see 
the purpose in life, you know, like that people love you. And so if you love someone who is struggling, something you can do is to help them see that again, whether that's by using your words and encouraging them, whether it's just by spending time with them, whether it's just being there and available for support whenever they need it, or just treating them normally and being a friend, you know, that kind of stuff is so crucial to the healing process. Because for me, I think if I hadn't had people who are willing to just be a friend or my parents to just love me and check on me and be there for me. Like, I don't think I would have made it because I constantly had people who are praying for me and surrounding me with truth and encouragement and just checking in and not treating me like I was a problem or that there was something wrong with me or that I was a burden because those are the things I was already believing about myself. And anytime someone did make me feel that way, or if, if, if I perceived that someone was seeing me as a burden, I should say, It just made me feel worse and it made me shrink back more. So the more that people were able to call out the goodness in me and love me and encourage me and speak that truth and speak that life into me, it helped me slowly inch out of that hiding place and and that dark place that I was in. Um, I just really don't feel like healing is is possible apart from love and community and support from friends and family. So I love this question and I think that It's a powerful thing to be there for someone who's hurting. So thank you for asking that. And I hope this episode was helpful. I know it was a lot. Again, unscripted, man. So there was no planning put into this. But I do appreciate you guys asking questions because I know this is something that's kind of taboo. Like it's not every day that you just ask somebody about depression or their abuse or an eating disorder. But I want to bring light to these things because I want us to feel equipped to love people who are going through it. And I want us to feel... Like if there are times when you've experienced things like this or you are experiencing things like this, I want you to know that there's hope. It does not define you to have struggles. The things that you've been through, the things that have been done to you, they don't define you and it's not the end of your story. I would encourage you to take the narrative that it's not the end of your story. It's the beginning of a testimony, okay? There is hope. God can use every single piece of your story. I am evidence of that. I literally thought that all of these things I went through disqualified me, but right now I'm sitting here talking to you and it's qualified me to shed shed light on these things and to encourage other women to love the people in their lives that are hurting or for the ones that are struggling to know that there's hope, to know that they still matter, to know that their voice matters and they still have a story to tell. That is what I am so fired up about. That is why I'm here. And, um, I I really appreciate you guys and all the support that I've had through my healing process. And even now, as I'm sharing my journey, it just um, means a lot to have such a supportive community that loves me and allows me the space to share on, on these kinds of things. So anyway, thank you so much for being here. I hope that this episode was insightful for you. Like I mentioned at the beginning, if you're interested in finding more information on this kind of stuff or hearing more about my story and how I got through it into the overcoming to where I am right now, I highly recommend my book, Waking Up Living Open. That's exactly what it's about. And you can get it on my website, again, linked in the show notes. But that's all for today, my friend. I will talk to you next time. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to tune into another episode of the ByWords podcast. I love having you here and I'm so grateful for your support. Don't forget to share a screenshot of this episode and tag me to let me know you were here. I can't wait to talk again soon, but in the meantime, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram and in the ByWords community group, which you can find links for in the show notes. Until next time, stay brave and remember, I'm cheering you on.